Welcome to Synergy. Uh, my name is Bronson. For those of you uh, who may be visiting with us, just want to say welcome uh, to all of you that may be new here, those who may be listening to the podcast. We're starting a brand new series today that I am extremely excited about. It's going to last for seven weeks, and it's called Dear Synergy. And before we jump into it, let me just kind of share with you how this series came about. Um, a couple of months ago, I was uh, reading through um, parts of Revelation, and I read Revelation 1 through 3 and, and chapters 2 and 3. Uh, there's seven letters that are written to seven churches of Asia, uh, to the angels of those churches. And it's basically Jesus speaking to the churches and sending messages about things that he's pleased with and things that he sees area for improvement. And, and honestly, some areas that he just isn't pleased with. And uh, so my mind immediately started going to this thought process of what would God say to our church if he were to send us a letter? Of course, in this age, he probably wouldn't send us a letter. He'd send us an email, right? And so I thought if I got an email from Jesus that said to the church in Winder called Synergy, what would he say? What would he be pleased with? What would he give us as a way of encouragement? And what would he tell us needs to be improved and we need to work on? And uh, so my mind just began to wrestle with this. And so I thought, well, why don't we take things that we know about Jesus and his view of the church and just kind of huddle up and get a game plan together. And so we're going to take seven weeks and we're going to look at one letter to one church each of the seven weeks. And these are things that Jesus says to the church, not specifically to Synergy, but there are things that we can look at these churches and say, okay, we know that Jesus longs for this. He desires to see this in the church. He's disappointed in this. And because we know that, then we can kind of huddle up and say, hey, let's work on these areas of our church. Now, I am a proponent that God is going to do some really, really big things through our church. Okay, I'm a little biased because God called me to start this church. And so I kind of have high expectations, but... In my heart of hearts, I feel like there is something great in store for our church. Uh, but I feel like that we need to make sure that we're focused on the right things before we'll ever experience those great things. Does that make sense? Like if God had some huge plan for your life, but you weren't focused on the right things that would result in you seeing that fulfillment, then you would probably want to know those areas that you needed to shift your focus. And so that's what we're going to do these next seven weeks. And so uh, think of this series really as kind of like um, kind of like a timeout in a basketball game. I know that you all watched LeBron win his second straight championship this past week. And uh, I already know that there's some haters out here and that's okay because he's the greatest player uh, that's playing the game right now. And um, we'll argue about whether he's the greatest of all time another day. Uh, but you've got to admit that it was a really good series if you watched it. Some of you care less about basketball. But for me, it kind of took me back to some of my glory days. Okay? So I want to share a little story with you from my glory days. Can I do that? Can I just take a minute and just reflect to my freshman year of college when it all began for me and I got my big break? Can I just do that for a moment? Just, just allow me that, that moment. Um, leaving high school and having been... Uh, the most valuable player two years running from my high school team, I went to college with great hopes, right? I was going to, like, kill it. I was going to go to the NBA. I was going to make millions. Everybody was going to know my name. They were going to have shoes that were designed for me. You know, that kind of lifestyle is what I was headed towards. 
Uh, and then I hit my freshman year of college, and for the entire first semester of the league, I never got on the court. And I thought, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, I was disappointed. I was frustrated. I was honestly, in, in some ways, ready to give up. Uh, but we were at North Georgia College in Dahlonega. I'll never forget it. Um, we were playing there. I was playing for Southern Polytechnic State University, go running Hornets. Um, only played there one year, but it was a great year. And uh, we went there, and for whatever reason, Coach Helfer uh, called me to go into the game for a senior. Uh, his name was Mike. And so I went into the game, and I started playing pretty well, and things were going good. And we made it all the way to the end of the game. There was less than 15 seconds, and our coach calls a timeout. We have the ball, we're down one, and he calls a timeout, okay, and so we're all like on pins and needles, and I'm in the game, and I'm thinking like, he's probably going to put the senior back in because this is like the end of the game when like the really good players should be in, and so we huddle up, and I'm sitting on the bench, and he doesn't call anybody else's number, and I'm like, he's going to let me stay in, this is great, and, and then he says it like, he says, here's what we're going to do, we're going to run baseline for Bronson, and I was like, because I knew that baseline was all four guys were going to go to the baseline and I was going to be at the top of the key with the ball. And he was just basically telling me, beat your man, take a shot. If you make it, we win. If you miss it, we're going to lose. And I'm a freshman. This is really the first game that I've got much playing time at all. And uh, I thought to myself, don't screw this up. This could be very bad. Uh, and so I get in the game, and just by the grace of God, I ended up making a shot. We won the game. And uh, for me, that was like my big break. Uh, but I can specifically remember like that huddle, like the things that were said in that huddle. He was like, guys, we got to be really intentional about this. If the shot's missed, you got to make sure you're boxing your guy out. You got to get this rebound. Now, Bronson, you're going to be watching for this. He's going to be coming around behind. If something happens, you know where you can pass it. This is what you're looking for. I can remember like the game plan going into that play. Uh, as if like I were hearing it right now. And for me, in that moment, I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I knew the game plan, and I knew what my responsibility was. Now, can you imagine if there was a coach that was like, guys, like, we got a chance to win this. I hope y'all come up with something good and just go out there and do it. I'll be cheering for you. And you're like, we got five guys and with no game plan. Chances are things aren't going to turn out good. And so for me in this series, what I want us to do is focus on the few things that we can learn from these letters to the churches in Revelation so that we can have a game plan so that when God allows us to experience some things that are coming for us, we'll be ready for them. And we'll know what he's expecting of us and we'll be able to react in such a way that hopefully will please him and allow him to look at us uh, favorably. So let me start and just kind of set up this text by starting in chapter 1 of Revelation. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse number 9. I'm going to read a little bit here. I'm just going to read through. I'll make a few comments as we go, and then we're going to jump into the first letter in just a moment. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is John, the beloved disciple. He's exiled to an island, uh, being persecuted for uh, his uh, ministry. Verse number 10, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he's basically saying, I'm about to give you some information that I want you to record and write down, and I want you to pass it along to these seven churches. And then he goes into a format where he addresses these seven churches specifically. Now, some of the churches got emails, if you will, that weren't great. Laodicea, he had nothing good to say about them. We don't want to be that church. The only thing he said was, uh, you really need to work on some things. Uh, Two churches, uh, he said only positive things about. Nothing negative. I want to be one of those churches. Four of the churches, including Ephesus, which we're going to look at today, he said there's some things you're doing pretty well, and there's some things that you need to work on. And so let's take today and let this be an eye-opening experience for us just to say, this is what God said to the church at Ephesus. What can we learn from it based on what we know that he loves and desires and expects from his church? And then let's put that into action. Does that make sense? Are you with me on kind of our game plan for the next seven weeks? So let's jump into this letter. Chapter number two of Revelation. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. So these are his words to the church in Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? And it's sobering to know that Jesus, he knows our deeds, he knows our actions, he knows the intents of our heart, he knows what's going on in our midst, and though we sometimes try to put these Christian masks on and hide things from one another, uh, though we may fool one another and, and kind of shield people from some truth in our lives, uh, Jesus knows our deeds, he knows everything. That's a sobering thought uh, that hopefully pushes us to be more transparent uh, rather than masked. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So he's proud of, of this church in Ephesus. You work hard, you're persevering. I see this, I know what you're doing. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. I know that you don't accept allowing wickedness to be a standard in your church, that you address tough topics, that when you see people that are doing ungodly things and they claim to be a part of the church, you don't avoid conversations 
and you don't hide behind topics that are uncomfortable to talk about, that when things are necessary to talk about, that you talk about them. I'm proud of you for that, Ephesus. Like, I see that there are people in your church that have done some wicked things, and you've handled them really well. You've not allowed it to become a a normal occurrence in your church, and you've not allowed it to be uh, approved of. That's a good thing. And I'll be honest with you, this is, this is one of the most difficult parts of any church. And some churches blow it all together by being on the wrong side of this pendulum and being a judge to people, kicking people out of the church, all that kind of good stuff. And some people do a terrible job of this in the fact that they just don't want to address anything that could hurt people's feelings or could cause confrontation. And so for me, this is... This is a sobering responsibility to know that Jesus loves about the church when they don't tolerate wickedness in the church. That's tough. You know, one of the things here at Synergy that, that we try to make a principle and a habit is that we're known for our love. We don't want to be known for things that we're against. We want to be known for things that we are for. And so we don't want to be the church that stands up on Sunday mornings and says, hey, there's this organization that's doing this, and we're all going to boycott them. You know, we're all going to take our money out of this bank because they're supporting this group of people, and so we're all going to show them everything but the love of Jesus, but prove that we're not going to accept the things that they stand for. Isn't this just kind of the theme of the church a lot of times, and so many people get hurt by the church And I've said from the beginning, like, we're not going to be that church. We're going to be known for our love, and we're going to accept anybody. I don't care what your lifestyle is. You're welcome here on a Sunday morning. You're welcome to come and worship with us. You're welcome to not believe in the God that we preach about and sit skeptical week after week after week. And we're not going to tell you you can't come. There's no checklist that we have volunteers at the front door that looks and says, well, are they dressed a certain way, you know? There's no interview process for you to be a part of our church. We don't go do background checks to make sure that you're worthy to sit in our auditorium. But at the same time, we have this knowledge that God loves a church that doesn't tolerate wickedness inside the church. Meaning those who call Synergy Church home, like our family, the ones that we love and care for, that we're in relationship with, that God has called to serve together that there should be times where we speak to one another in ways that stretch ourselves. That say, hey, I've noticed something about your life that doesn't line up with scriptures. And I'm not here to judge you. I'm speaking the truth in love. But I want you to know that what you're doing is wrong. That we can't allow that to become a normal occurrence in our church. And though we reach out to everyone and we love everyone, we can't embrace sin inside the church and wickedness inside the church. And we can't allow the standard that God has called us to, to be defined by the lack of confrontation that we desire. This is hard. This is difficult for me to wrestle with. When when I read this, it, it kind of puts me on edge a little bit. And I don't think that Jesus is saying here like, hey, I appreciate that you're like inspecting everyone's lives and you're like 
looking to find something wrong with them and you're nitpicking and, and you're trying just to tell people how to live their life. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, but he's saying that you have such a love for the things of God that it completely overshadows any embrace of wicked things. This is a great attribute for a church and one that I pray that we possess for as long as our church serves together. Verse number three. He goes on to say, You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. When things have been difficult and when you've been persecuted and when you've been up against walls and it seemed like things were impossible, you didn't give up. You didn't quit. You didn't throw in the towel and say, I can't do this anymore. But you've stood strong. You've persevered. You've kept pushing when many people wouldn't keep pushing. Ephesus, I'm so proud of that. And when I hear that, I just think that's God's call to us as a church. That no matter how difficult things may be for our church and no matter how discouraging we may ever get in any season of our church, that it's important for us to stay so focused on the mission that God's called us to that it doesn't matter what the numbers look like and it doesn't matter what the giving looks like and it doesn't matter how many people are serving and it doesn't matter how many people are connected in groups. That's not what defines success for us. Our success is defined in the mission that God's called us to and that's to make Christ known in the lives of people who are far from God. And as long as people who are far from God come to know Christ in our church, then that's what success is. On the flip side of that coin, I fully believe that the more successful we are at reaching those who are far from God, the more people that are going to attend our church. And the more generous we'll be because we see that our resources can enable that. And the more we'll serve together because we believe in what God's called us to. And so I think that there's a reflection on each other there, but the call for us in this scripture is, I'm proud of you when you persevere, when you stand up under trials, when you don't quit. It's a great attribute that Jesus points out. Go down to verse six. We're going to skip a couple of verses and then we're going to come back. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Another thing that he says, I'm so proud of you for. There was a sect, a religious sect in this day that was promoting idolatry and sexual immorality inside the church. They were embracing a lifestyle that was ungodly. He mentions the Nicolaitans in three or four of these letters we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. He's saying, I am proud of you that you haven't been swayed by any type of sect or movement no matter how popular it may become or how much people may desire to be part of that, that you've allowed yourself to stay so focused on God's call that you've avoided any kind of spinoff from true godliness. So the church at Ephesus, man, they had a lot of good things going for them. I mean, this was a church that, that had a lot right that was doing a lot right, that was focused on what God had called them to, to the extent that they were, they were not accused of false teaching. They weren't accused of allowing people that were teaching things that were ungodly in their midst. They weren't allowing wickedness. They weren't embracing sects that caused people to 
go in a different direction. I mean, this was a good group of people. But sandwiched here in the middle of that is, is a couple of verses that Jesus has some things to say that, that they weren't getting right. How many of you have ever, you've received an email, maybe from an employer, maybe from a family member, from someone who you're in relationship with, that you love, that you respect, they send you this email, and, and they follow the protocol, right? They say some good things, and they're like, but I need to address something with you. Like, there's this something going on. You're not performing well in this area, or you've done something in our relationship that's caused something, and they bring up something that you know is true when you read it, but it just makes you angry. Like, I can't believe they said that. Well, this church at Ephesus, Jesus does that. He says some good things, and then he brings up something that would have been a, a hot topic for them, that they would have known. Yeah, now that you say that, that's true. But look at all the good that we are doing. Like, why do we have to talk about this? And I never want us to be that church that says, let's not talk about the things that we need to improve on, and let's not be afraid to admit our faults ever. So listen to what Jesus says, starting in verse number four. Yet I hold this against you. Listen to that terminology. I hold this against you. Like this is, this is not acceptable. This needs to change. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Some translations say the love you had at first. You have forsaken your first love and then he gives them this instruction. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then he gives them a warning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He's not messing around. He's pretty serious here. He said, if you have forsaken your first love, the love that you had at first... And I want you to repent. I want you to change that. I want you to remember the height from which you have fallen and do the things that you once did. And if you don't, then I'm going to take my hand off of your church and I'm not going to bless it. You know, some people read this and they think forsaken their first love means that this church had turned their back on God and they had kind of denied him and walked away from him. But that's it's not really what what he's saying here. How many of you, like, you can remember when you were dating your spouse and you remember, like, all the conversations that you constantly had and how much you always thought about that person you were falling in love with? And any chance you got, you were calling or you were texting, you were sending emails, you were sending flowers, you were doing things to express your love for her. And then think to today. Do you still express that love today the way you did back when you were dating, when you were falling in love, when you were trying to win the love of another person? Now, I'll be the first to tell you, and Lindsay will give me an amen. I'm, I'm thankful that she's not in here today, but she's serving. Maybe she is. I hope she doesn't give me an amen. That would make me look bad. But there are times when I don't express my love to her like I once did. Can I just be honest with you? I mean, I remember talking on the phone all night long, like not sleeping because I wanted to talk to her. I just wanted to hear her voice. And there's times now where she'll call me at lunchtime 
And I'll be like, yeah, uh-huh, what? Like, and she'll be like, what, do you just not want to talk? And I'm just like, oh, I'm just in the middle of something. And this week, I was thinking about and preparing for this scripture, and I thought, this isn't good. <laughs> it was kind of one of those, like, I need to change this about my life. And it's not like I killed it and knocked it out of the park, but I just, it wasn't even lunchtime yet. She was still working, and I just sent her text messages. I'm thinking about you today. I just want you to know I love you. And she writes back, I should pull it up on my phone. Maybe I will, actually. Let me just be, can I just be transparent with you guys? Let me find this. Sorry, I didn't have this plan. We text a lot. I love my baby doll. Well, okay, I'm not finding it. She said something about, where did that come from? Like, why are you saying that? What do you want? I can't. I'm sorry, I can't find it. I don't want to waste time. I'll find it later. She was like, what is this for? And I was like, just wanted you to know I was thinking about you. I don't always tell you, but I love you. And she just wrote back like that, just made me smile. You know, in that moment, I was able to express to her something that I feel like is obvious, but isn't always. Can you relate? All you women, you can relate, right? You got men that they just pursued you and pursued you and pursued you, and they did everything to win you over. And you've been married for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And they're not pursuing you like they did there. And there's times where you're just like, you know, it would be nice for you just to, you know, sit and talk to me. That wouldn't be too much to ask. I would appreciate that. If we could like just talk about our lives together. And so what Jesus is saying about this church in Ephesus is not that they have left their first love, but that they're not doing the things that they once did. Their acts of love, their deeds of love have really become non-existent. That they used to do things in the church and for the church and through the church because they loved God, because they loved Jesus, and they were willing to do it, and they would go to extremes to express that love. But they had fallen away from that. And I'm sure if their church was anything like the churches in our culture, there was a sense of entitlement and people had paid their dues and someone else needs to step up and do some things. And they had allowed the, the height from which they had fallen, this, this seeming, I'll do anything to show you I love you mentality, in the church to become, these are just duties and they're just things that have to be done. And we don't do them out of love anymore. And some things we don't do anymore. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought about our church. We're only a year and a half old and by no means do I feel like we have forsaken our first love and that we don't do things out of love anymore. But let me just keep being transparent with you so that everyone knows I'm not pointing a finger. There was a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I had a hard time. I showed up at 5.15. I opened the building. I did a lot of work. Stayed here through 
load out, got home about 1.30, grabbed a bite. I was so exhausted, I just went to sleep, and I just had the worst attitude. Can I just, I know that you think I'm perfect, but I'm just going to confession time here. In my mind, I said, you know what, I'm only going to work like this for a year, and then I'm going to have so many people doing this, so I don't have to do this anymore. And I'm the pastor, and I lead this thing. I don't do things. I'm going to lead things, and I'm going to tell people how to do things, and they're going to do it better than I could do it myself, and I'm just going to come in, and I'm going to preach God's word, and I'm going to inspire people, and I'm going to challenge people, and I'm going to stretch people in their faith, and this thing's just going to be easy and enjoyable. And man, God just kind of woke me up. It was like he shook me. And he took me to the book of John where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he gives us this call to serve. And he says, I've set an example for you that this should be normal in your life, that you should never get to a place where you don't do something for others to express your love of God for them. And I can just be honest with you, the last couple of weeks, my attitude has been completely changed. And listen, I'm not saying this to like say, like you should be up here helping us at six in the morning so I don't have to do this anymore. I'm, I'm here saying like if 30 of you show up next week and we don't have enough to do, I'm going to be here still. Like it's an honor for me to, with a pure heart, serve for God. It's not that this has to be done every week. It's that we get to do this. You've allowed us to do this. Yeah, but if we just had our own facility, we wouldn't have to do this anymore. Then we wouldn't get to tangibly experience the beauty and the benefit of serving like this. There's going to come a day where we will have our own facility, and I pray that we'll still have the heart that we have now. His encouragement to them was, you've persevered, you've not grown weary, but you've allowed yourself not to do the things you once did to show your love. And so I have this verse come to mind that I want to kind of end with. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And it says, let us not become weary in doing good. Doesn't it kind of fit what we're talking about today? Let us not become weary. Let's persevere. Let's press on. Let's not give up. Let's not quit. Let's not grow weary in doing good. Like we should be doing things to show God that we love him. Not that the works that we do are the essence of our salvation, but because we're saved, we want to express our love for him. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, and I love that, this is Paul talking. He says, there's going to come a time that only God will control that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Like if we persevere and we keep doing the good things and we stand strong and we don't quit and we don't give up, but we keep doing those good deeds, then there will come a proper time, a time that we don't know when it will be, but we'll experience a harvest based on the labor that we've done in love. That Jesus will look at the church at Ephesus and say, you've fought hard, you've stayed strong, you've persevered, but you're not doing the deeds that you once did. And to hear Paul say, let's not quit, let's not give up doing the things that we've done. Now this is, 
This is eye-opening for me because if you know anything about Scripture, the Apostle Paul, he was probably the greatest leader in the New Testament outside of Jesus. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. He started churches. He traveled. I mean, he had this huge ministry where God used him to do some great things. And in his letter to the church at Galatia, he says to them, hey, let us, not, hey, you guys don't. He says, let us, like me included, let us not grow weary in doing good. And it's almost this picture like the Apostle Paul, who Lord knows how much, how many incredible feats that he saw God do through him. I mean, I can only imagine traveling to different cities and starting churches and writing letters and experiencing the miracles of God. And yet he says, let us not grow weary in doing good. It's almost like he had higher expectations that he hadn't achieved yet. And he knew that God had promised him some things that he wasn't experiencing yet. And he, and he felt tired. It was hard. He wasn't this like supernatural person who just was on top of the world like we think he was. Like I can see him writing this like, there's times where I just don't want to travel to another city and talk to these people. Like this is, this is a hard life. This is difficult. Like this is, I don't know if I can go on. Scripture tells us he had a thorn in his side that he had this physical ailment. His life wasn't like a piece of cake. And there were moments where he probably wanted to quit. And what does he say? Let us together, let's not give up because there will come a time where we'll experience the fulfillment of the promise that God's given us. And I hope that we can just embrace that verse today. That as Jesus would look on our church, he would find a group of people who they persevere, they stand up under trial, they challenge one another to be holy and godly, they don't allow ungodly things in the centrality of who they are as a church, they're not afraid to talk about tough things, they're not afraid to deal with people, and they haven't forgotten their first love, they still do things to express their love for God. This isn't just at church, by the way. We're the church when we're not together. Like when we're not together, what do we do to express our love to God? I'm not talking about showing up at six in the morning to help set up everything here. I'm talking about a lifestyle of expressing our love to God through our actions. And in doing that, never giving up, always persevering, staying strong, standing firm with an expectancy that God's going to do something big. Now, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I would just hope that you would want to be a part of that church also. And I've just felt that, that God's getting ready to do some big things coming this fall, that maybe we're on the edge of him doing some things, but if we're not ready for it and we don't steward it well, and we're not prepared, and we don't know what the next call is, and we don't know what the game plan is, and we're going to go out there in a tense moment where there's lots of pressure, and there's lots of people watching and looking at us, and we might blow it. There's churches that blow it. Some people think, like, Jesus just loves all churches, and he does. He loves, he loves everybody. He loves people who don't even believe in him. He loves, he loves us all. But, but he has an opinion about every church. And if he were to write a letter about every church, there would be some negative things that would be said. 
And I want to be a church that's so prepared to do what God's called us to do that he looks down and says, hey, can I just tell you, you're doing a really good job and I'm proud of you and just keep doing what you're doing. And the only way we can be that church is if we look at these things and say, that's got to be a part of our life. Let's persevere. Let's press on. Let's not give up. Let's not allow wickedness to become a standard in our church. And let's keep expressing our deeds of love, our acts of love to God in everything that we do, whether we're together or whether we're apart. And God will do some awesome things. In with this verse, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 2, this is how he ends that letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Right? There is a reward for you if this is who you are. Let's repent. Remember the height from which you have fallen and do the things that you once did. Father, thank you for the call that you've placed on our church. Thank you for an opportunity to serve together. And I pray, Father, that we would take these letters and your evaluation of these churches and apply them to ourselves and help us, Father, to position ourselves in such a way that you would be pleased with us. And we ask you to do incredible things through us that we could never ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. In Jesus' name, amen.